So we were in Acts 4.13 this morning, and we come to Acts 6.15 this evening. And we're looking at it for similar reasons, you know, kind of at face value, so to speak. Uh, we see something that sounds really nice and lovely, and then as we look into it, it's very powerful. And that'll be the same this evening um, as we look at Stephen's face and how it is described. I'm only going to read verse 15. I will share a few other verses. Uh, there's a lot about this that goes into chapter 7. We'll look at some verses in chapter 7 together. But I'm just going to read verse 15 for now. Hear now the word of the Lord, Acts chapter 6, verse 15. And all that sat in the council, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. And it's that last phrase we want to think about tonight in its context. Now, they're speaking about this is speaking about Stephen. And remember, the first part of the chapter, uh, the elders have said we need to start this, create this new office of deacon to take care of very important mercy ministry that we're being criticized for neglecting, and rightly so. But we need to be able to focus on the word and prayers. So they created the office of deacon, and Stephen is among those who are, who are chosen to be the first deacons uh, in this unusual time this apostolic time he also is found here preaching and involved in the miracles of healing not all of that is of course normative to the office of deacon let alone the other offices today but nonetheless uh, that's uh, what we know about the context and because there's healing and because of the preaching and people are believing even the priests uh, they don't like this again just like we saw in Acts chapter 4 they don't like the preaching of the gospel and this this healing and so they bring him before trial just as they brought we saw in Acts Acts 5, uh, Peter and John, the apostles before trial, try to do something about this. With, with Stephen, it's a much more sobering end of the story, however. We see that before we get to the sobering end of the story in chapter 7, and, and mind you, it's at, the, it's at the feet of Paul, who is then Saul. Keep that in mind about this witness. Saul becomes Paul witnessing this. What happens, what they do to Stephen. They kill him. They kill him for his very long sermon throughout the whole, a lot of the Old Testament and applying it to them as being unbelievers and not receiving and recognizing Christ as the Messiah the scriptures are pointing to. But before that, when he's about to preach this strong sermon, knowing he's under trial, as they're questioning him, he has the face as an angel, they're observing him and they're recognizing, look at his face. Look at the witness of his face. Look at the countenance of his face. And that's what we want to particularly think about tonight and pray that the same could be said about us this morning. May it also be said of us that we, they recognize that we have been with Jesus. And tonight, as we serve Jesus, that we have an angel, uh, the face as an angel, even the face as like Jesus. Here's the thing. Don't you do this sometimes? I think we've all done on this many times. We have a cute little baby. Those cute little chubby cheeks. And don't we say, aww, she just has a face like an angel. Don't we say that? Or he has a face like an angel. Aww. And what do we have in mind? Those little fat, chubby, naked cherubs with little wings. I don't know how they can fly in those things. And uh, going around on Valentine's Day. That's what we have in view, right? 
or some, some other uh, artwork, I would argue shouldn't happen, but nonetheless, we have those kinds of things of you. I assume that's where we get that phrase, oh, face like an angel. We think, oh, so cute, so angelic, and we, we tend to mean like just so lovely and peaceful. But if the baby had an angel's face truly, we'd likely scream or gulp. When it says of Stephen, he had a face like an angel, we must remember the context, his strong, courageous, challenging witness, even against the angry faces of his accusers and even facing death by them. We also must remember that angels, what are they like in the scriptures? They cause fear. They impress awe and respect in men and women at their presence. So the face of Christians in service and witness before criticism and martyrdom can resemble angels as powerful messengers of God. Because we have a powerful message from God of the Lord Jesus Christ. I give that to you as the main idea we're looking at tonight. The face of Christians in service and witness before criticism and martyrdom can resemble angels as powerful messengers of God. I, Howard Marshall, writes this of our verse. The description, speaking of Stephen as an angel, the face of an angel, uh, the description is of a person who is close to God and reflects some of his glory as a result of being in his presence. Horatio Hackett says uh, that he thinks it was a supernatural glow. I'm not sure what I think of that, but he thinks it's a supernatural glow like that of Moses in the Old Testament and Exodus uh, for spending time with God, a uh, special presence of God, and then like Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration. I'm not arguing against that necessarily. I'm not sure that the text necessitates that. I think it has more to do with his face like a flint as Jesus was facing the persecution before him with, with peace and resolve and confidence in Christ. Nonetheless, he says this with that in view, saying that the face of Stephen was like an angel is proclaiming him a true witness, a servant of him whose glory was so fitly symbolized by such a token. John Gill uh, alluding to, well, more than alluding, noting also the shining faces of Moses and Jesus uh, and likening it to what might be said here of Stephen's face as an angel. He says, it is a token of an acquaintance of him by God. So it's a sign of him being with God and sign of God being with him. That's the main idea, but again, thinking of what it means that the angels are in the presence of God. Now, similar to chapter 413, we looked at this morning, there is a looking at him, there is a seeing him, but the Greek has the idea of perceiving again. They're, they're marveling over him. They're like, do you see that? Do you, they're probably, I mean, they're commenting on it in the scripture here. They're talking to each other, likely saying, look at his face. You know, we're calling him to court. And maybe he's supposed to be afraid, but it almost as if they're more afraid of him. 
You know, it's a, it's a similar court of religious leaders who are unbelieving and trying to stamp out the growth of the church. This council, in Greek it's the Sanhedrin, uh, that's who they are again. Just like we saw in Acts chapter 4, it's the religious Jewish leaders who ought to be saying, look, it is the Messiah, as John the Baptist, behold the Lamb of God. As Peter in Acts chapter 2 does, he's clearly the Messiah. He's risen from the dead and none of you can deny it. We all know this is true, so he must be the Messiah. They should have been doing that, but instead they are unbelieving. But that's the court. That's what he finds himself in. Similar to Martin Luther again, when he had to go before uh, the papacy, and the Diet of Worms. He had to give, they were calling him to account, trying to intimidate him to step down and take it back. And at one point, I, I can do no other. The confidence he had is what we're seeing with Stephen here. But that's, that's the context. If you look at verses 9 and 12 of chapter 6. Uh, then there arose a certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and Cyrenians and Alexandrians and of them of Cilicia and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. You see that arguing. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. That's the next verse. Then look at verse 12. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council. Just like they did with Peter and John, just like they did in what we read in Mark 14 tonight with our Lord Jesus. A false trial, uh, a council that is ultimately trying to get them because of who they are in Christ, just as they look to ultimately kill Christ because of who he was, who he said to be that they just rejected. But that's the context here, remember. So he's, he's brought before a council to try to get him, and yet he has a face as an angel. The confidence, similarly, as we saw, they remembered they have been with Christ. They had been with Jesus. And you see that confidence. It's better to please the Lord than to please man and fear him. We, we're not going to stop preaching the gospel. But they are on trial. You can imagine how intimidating that is. Anyone that has to face some kind of, you've been summoned to court for something that you've been accused of, even if it's not true, that's an intimidating situation. But he had a face like an angel. And how he faced it. Not a cute little Valentine's, Valentine's Day cherub is what we're talking about here. That's not what we're talking about. Now, why did they want to deal with him like this? Because if you look in the chapter, there was a healing and there was uh, much ministry of God's word. And we see that even some of the priests believe, oh, now it's really, you know, come close to home. You know, now, now some of our own are believing in Jesus Christ. This isn't going to fly. So that's, that's the context of what is happening here. And what do they perceive? What do they perceive once again? A powerful, when they say they see his face as a face as an angel, they see a powerful, confident, believing witness from Christ and of Christ. Similar to what was highlighted of Peter and John and their preaching and what they prayed for more of and got it. Boldness. Boldness. They couldn't be shook. They couldn't be scared. Angels are heavenly messengers of God from Genesis to Revelation. Now think about it. In fact, in Genesis chapter 3, right at the beginning, we have angels there. God casts out Adam and Eve from the garden, from his presence. And to make sure they don't try to re-enter, he guards the entrance to Eden. Yes, with a flaming sword, but also two cherubs. 
two cherubs. They are these cute little cherubs, you understand. The host, the army of the Lord, when the heaven is broken open at the birth of Christ, it's the host, the heavenly host. And we understand what that phrase means when the Lord is the Lord of hosts, one of his names. It's the angels, his warriors. Those that we see with Elijah when eyes are opened for some, uh, with the chariots of fire and all the things they do and the blindness they bring to enemies and things. That's, that's what's there at the garden, blocking the way back to be with God. This is, this is who they are. This is what they're like. We wouldn't approach and say, oh, come on, let us in, you cute little thing. We wouldn't even dare approach them. The common response to angels by man is fear. So they are often reassured. Men, when they are encountering an angel, they are often reassured by the angel not to fear when it is good news that they are bringing from God to God's people. The reason they say don't fear is because that's the response to seeing the face of an angel speaking to them. It's like Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, a little while later, verses 3 and 4. God sends an angel to speak to him. He's going to do a big change and transition with his dietary laws now because Christ has come. He's going to convince Peter of this and that now the Gentiles are being brought into the church through Christ, which was prophesied of Christ. But what's interesting is the angel comes to tell him this. And what is Cornelius's response to the angel? Oh, hey, how's it going? Aren't you cute? You want to sit down, have a soda together? He's afraid. He's afraid of the angel. That's always what you see. It's like, Zach, it's like Zacharias. He's ministering in the temple. The angel Gabriel came to announce that Elizabeth would bear and deliver uh, John the Baptist. But Zacharias, what was his response to the angel? Oh, great. His response is fear. It says he was troubled seeing this angel and fear fell upon him. So Gabriel said as well, don't fear. But later he made Zacharias incapable of speaking for a time because he wouldn't believe the message to him about John the Baptist and thus about Jesus Christ that was going to be coming as he would tell Mary a little while later. And one of the things that he says to impress upon Zacharias, you ought to believe my message. I stand in the presence of God. And this is in the temple, ministering as a priest. The end of the Gospel of Luke and the beginning of the Gospel, uh, beginning of Acts that we're in, the angels, angels are seen in white apparel. They're impressive. Reflecting that special heavenly glory, telling the disciples what to do in response to Jesus after his resurrection from the dead and after his ascension back to heaven from where he came and from whence he will return again the same way on a cloud in glory with a trumpet and lightning and thunder. And as you'll see all through the book of Acts, angels do powerful works. Think of deliverance from prison, all kinds of things. It's interesting how often angels are about the business of the Lord and the transition into the New Testament church. And it is said of Stephen once again, he had a face as an angel. In the context of a trial for preaching the gospel, 
for serving in the mercy ministry of the gospel. Another scripture that's important to consider. It is said of angels in Psalm 104, verse 4, which is quoted in Hebrews 1, verse 7. Something about angels. Now, in Hebrews chapter 1, he's developing this argument. Jesus is greater than the prophets. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than Aaron. All these things are impressive, but they're all pointing. One of the things early on is Jesus is greater than the angels. And that's supposed to impress us because of how impressive and powerful are angels. And he quotes, making that argument in Hebrews 1, verse 7, Psalm 104, verse 4, which says this. God maketh his angels, spirits, his ministers, a flaming fire. Angels are fiery, holy, righteous, powerful. Indeed, they have a glow about them. It is a holy, righteous, powerful glow, reflecting God in whose presence they stand and from whose presence they come to declare things to men. And when they do, the response is always fear and the need to be told to no longer be afraid. This is what they saw in the face of Stephen doing mercy ministry and preaching the gospel right before he preached a long sermon through most of the Old Testament in chapter 7 and then directly and alarmingly applied it to them in their unbelief of Jesus Christ of all people. Look with me at chapter 7, verses 51 to 53. So once again, with his face like an angel of confidence in the glory of God and God's approval shining on him with the message of Christ, the Lord of glory. He preaches a long sermon of God's work all through the Bible, and then he applies it to them. Verses 51 to 53. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. Sounds just like Jesus also, doesn't it? I don't know that most people are going to encourage you to do that as a preaching and witnessing to the Jews today or to anyone else. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them, which showed before of the coming of the just one. Of course, that's the righteous one, Jesus Christ. Of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels. And have not kept it. Can you imagine? You know, sermons often have a lot of explanation and review of the scriptures and then application often saved to the end. Uh, depending on how many moves there are to assume a sermon from the way I've been trained, you're going to get application in every section. A lot of times, like a sermon tonight, I really only have one move uh, leading to the main point, uh, the sermon point in your bulletins. I'll refer to it later. Uh, so there's explanation, illustration, and then the application you try to drive it home. It's incredible how he applies it, isn't it? Can you imagine most pastors having the guts to preach that to their church if it was applicatory? 
Can you imagine what it takes to preach like that? It takes having the face as an angel. And he had it. He had to know what he was risking with his own life preaching like that. That's preaching. That's the witness of a man who had a face as an angel. It's just like Acts chapter 4. He was full of the Holy Ghost. That was said of them there. Full of the Holy Ghost and power. And he saw Jesus. Turn back with me to chapter 6, 3. You want to see. He has the face as an angel. Look what he's saying. Look how he's ministering. And look where the power is coming from. The Spirit of Christ. <laughs> chapter 6, verse 3. Wherefore, brethren, look out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost. And wisdom whom we may appoint over this business. This is, again, finding men to be deacons. This is qualification full of the Holy Ghost. Stephen's one of them. And uh, then look now at verse 5. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. And it notes the other original deacons they named. And it occurs to me we don't tend to try to memorize those names like we do the uh, 12 apostles. But they're listed here. These are real people that the Lord called to be deacons in the church through the apostles. But notice Stephen in particular is highlighted surely because of what comes in the, what we're looking at tonight. He is full of faith. And of the Holy Ghost, full of faith. That's what it is to have the face of an angel. Absolute confidence, complete trust in God for who he is and what he's doing. Therefore, no fear of man other than to tell them to bow the knee and kiss the Lord Jesus Christ as their king. Lest they die. That's the face of the angel of Stephen. Look at verse 8. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Now look at verse 10. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Now look at chapter 7, all the way towards the end, uh, verses 55 to 56. But he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. They're getting ready to kill him. He's getting ready to go to heaven and look at his face. Beholding Jesus in his glory, standing from his throne and ready to receive him in. Absolutely no doubt, no trembling before man. As Jesus says, don't fear he who can kill the body. Fear he who can kill the body and the soul in hell forever. And so he fears with a holy, loving, familial fear the Lord God. And so he sees the heavens open. Imagine his face. Perhaps there was some kind of glow at least then. As he's being ready to take into glory. And they're beholding this. They're perceiving this of him. Notice he also acted like Jesus in the end as he's facing death. For how they responded to his sermon. Chapter 7 verse 59. And they stoned Stephen. 
Now just try to stop and think about that. They stoned him. Like they took up stones. Try to imagine you're, you're there as they're hitting you with rocks in your face and your head and your body and things are being crushed and bruised and things are bleeding. And imagine the pain and the way you're being knocked into dizziness before you're dead. And that's what they do. That's how they respond to him. They stone Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He's not worried about dying on this earth. He's saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. I'm going to be with you in heaven now. Praise the Lord. And he's, he's essentially doing what Jesus did, right? Um, receive my spirit. Luke 23, 46. Into thy hands I commit my spirit. Quoting Psalm 31, verse 5, which you and I sang this evening. Into thy hands I commit my spirit. And don't forget verse 15, my times are in your hands. That's the life of Christ. That's the life of a Christian. It can be. It ought to be. Notice not only did he commit his spirit facing death just like Jesus, he acted like Jesus by asking for mercy for his executioners. Can you imagine? I think that probably would be one of the hardest things for me to do. Verse 60. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And of course, we know that's a euphemism for he died. Uh, they, you know, Jesus tells uh, his apostles, his disciples, we're going to go see Lazarus, but he's, he's, he's asleep. Oh, well, if he's sleeping, no, you know, he's dead. It's a, it's a euphemism saying he died. So he died. They stoned him to death because of his sermon, but his face was as an angel the whole time. And because he's looking to Jesus and he's focusing on Jesus and he sees Jesus. His whole life was that, so his death is that, and the heavens are open to him, and there is Jesus standing to receive him. And as we've reviewed before, you don't usually hear about Jesus standing from his throne. He's sitting on his throne to represent he has finished his work of saving his people, but also to show his authority. He goes back and sits on the throne on the right hand of God, where our lives are hid with Christ, Paul says in Colossians 3. But notice he stands in this case. To honor and receive Stephen in heaven. He sees Stephen is rejoicing. I'm getting goosebumps. He's just rejoicing to look and see Jesus. And he's, he's received by him. And yet also like Jesus, not only please receive my spirit, but please forgive those who are killing me at this moment. Just like Jesus in Luke 23 verse 34. It's interesting, an observation by Charles Coldwood, Coldwell Ryrie. He says, he reminds us the name Stephen means crown. And he would lay these crowns at Jesus' feet. He points out that Stephen was the first to wear the martyr's crown. At least as we see here in, in the book of Acts, the New Testament church. And beloved, let us see and recognize here, he faced his death with a face glowing with royal nobility. And honor. They could kill him, but they couldn't drag him down. That is what it was like for Stephen, I submit to you, to have a face like an angel in terms of what they observed in this context. 
and it is what it can mean for you as Christ's messengers, even if called upon to be his martyrs like faithful Antipas. You can have a face facing every, anything and everything that is righteous, that uh, glows with truth and earnestness and holiness and sincerity and boldness and power full of the Holy Spirit at peace with eyes filled with the vision of Christ, preaching the truth boldly as the cause for questioning your life and taking your life. Nonetheless, your face remains resolute as an angel in its absolute confidence in the glory of God. Looking to Jesus as the author and finisher of your faith, may you have this in view. And may you have new resolve with Romans 8, 38 to 39. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can trust that God gives that to his martyrs. You can trust as you read Fox's book of martyrs, though they suffered, you can trust he gave that to them too. And it will be yours as needed. You can have new resolve in 1 Corinthians 15, 55. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Because you know for certain in that chapter that Jesus is raised from the dead and he will raise you from the dead. Notice... They were steadfastly looking at him. You know, it's just like they marveled over Peter and John in Acts 4.13 this morning and recognized they'd been with Jesus. I recall they're acting just like Jesus, this resolve, this boldness. And they beheld the same heavenly face as he preached the heavenly message and saw Jesus in heaven and went to be with him there. You can imagine as he goes into heaven with that face as an angel, he didn't have to change a thing. He was ready. What a witness of the power of Christ and his gospel in Stephen's countenance. John Gill writes this of the text. There was such a calmness and serenity in it which showed his innocence and unconsciousness of guilt. See, that's one of the wonderful things. You face death and you have no guilt. Christ has taken it for you with his death. Have confidence in that. You can't be drugged down by your sins. He goes on to say, And such was the beauty and glory upon it that he looked as lovely and amiable as the angels of God, who when they appeared to men, it was in very glorious and splendid forms. Beloved, whatever you face as Christians in this new year, in the years to come, 
May your accusers and persecutors see the same heavenly strength in your face as an angel. Such confidence and trust in the gospel, remembering again they are the messengers of God. Such confidence and trust in the gospel that you are willing to live and die for it. No problem. Write my name in the book of martyrs. Put it down with Antipas next to noted in the side of notes in Revelation. Because of your Holy Ghost, enlightened and empowered confidence and trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ and your resolve to live and die for him who died for you and gave you eternal life in him who is the resurrection and the life. As you gaze on the face of Jesus in your service and witness of he who was himself in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord. May your face be as an angel. Even more, may you face life and death with a face like Jesus. And that is the message for you this evening, beloved. Face life and death with a face like Jesus. And remember, after he struggled in Gethsemane, after much prayer with the Lord, he faced and said, let us go to Jerusalem with a face like a flint. Confidence in the prophecies and in what God was going to do, even through his death, to give you life. Face life and death with a face like Jesus. You're looking at Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. You fear no one. You fear nothing. You face everything with a face as an angel. Let us pray. Oh, Lord God, as we look to Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, let us face what may come to us for being Christians and staying faithful to the gospel and trust you will give us what we need in any hour and that you will help us, oh, Lord, to have the countenance of confidence in Jesus Christ, our Lord, the author and finisher of our faith. Oh, Lord, we pray your blessing on us to have this confidence and peace that it will be so, for you are faithful and true. And we pray this in your name, in Jesus' name, and all your people say with faces as angels, Amen. Beloved, would you open your Psalter with me to page 133. We will sing together Psalm 67 with the confidence it gives us even there, assuring us that what we're asking for is already being answered. We'll sing Psalm 67, page 133. As you are able, please stand. Da, 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 da. Thy way and nation 
heavens all may know thy saving grace. Let people praise thee, Lord. Let people all thee praise. Oh, let the nations be glad in songs their voices raise. Please hold. If you don't mind, I'm going to turn the recorder back on because that psalm needs to be at the end of our sermon on sermon audio. I think you understand. Let me turn the recorder back on. <clears throat> Forgive me, but uh, it's also worth repeating. We sing Psalm 67 together. Let's sing it with faces as angels. Lord, bless and pity us. Shine on us with thy face. That the earth, thy way, and nations all may know thy saving grace. Let people praise thee. receive the blessing of your Lord. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace as an angel. Amen.